Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mamba Moments, a very special episode. We have one of the all-time greats at covering Kobe and one of the all-time great sports journalists in general, Arash Markazi, been with ESPN, Sports Illustrated, and has covered the NBA for a long time, now has his own show, the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 and the Believe Podcast Network, which this is also on. also, we're both fellow Trojans. So, Arash, man, how are you doing? Thank you so much for being on today. I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. So, one of the first questions I actually wanted to start off with is, I know you lost a ton of weight and did a really amazing job with that. Very inspirational. And I've also read the story that Kobe Bryant commented on this and that it really meant a lot to you when he gave you a hug, said he wanted you to be around for a while. So I wanted to ask, first of all, how you lost that weight and found the motivation if, if there was any Mamba mentality involved and then what it was like to to hear that from Kobe and how that inspired you to keep going. Yeah, so I, I began this journey, um, I guess, September of two years ago. I'm, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact date, but uh, it was September of, let's just say, 2018, maybe, or 2019. And then um, I was at, so one month into my journey. So like let's, let's just say that was like September 26th. October 26, Kobe Bryant went to his first Lakers game where LeBron was playing. So this was the first time he had gone to a game where LeBron was with the Lakers. He was sitting courtside at like, while he was leaving, I, I mean, there was a, 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 like a sea of reporters trying to get his attention and I got in front of him and he kind of stopped. And again, at that point, I'm 30 days into this journey of mine and I had lost 30 pounds or so, which was a lot of weight, but you have to remember I was 329 pounds. So I was, uh, you know, in the process of thankfully losing 130 pounds. So 30 pounds was, that's a good deal of weight. But for me, it, it didn't seem like maybe like a, a ton, but he was so impressed. He stopped me. He looked me up and down. He said, you're looking great. You should keep doing this. And so that gave me the motivation because I think a lot of people who have str- struggled with weight have had moments where they've had a good month or a good week or a good two months. And then they kind of stop. And then when you have a very public moment like that, where Kobe Bryant stops you and tells you to continue and he's proud of you and things like that, like that's really amazing. Um, and then fast forward, um, to the last time I, I, I talked to him, which was prior to the season where they won the championship. And obviously this season got cut short briefly because of COVID. Uh, I, I talked to him before the first game of that season. And at that point I, I had lost about 130 pounds and he was just so happy, so amazed, so impressed. And he said, you know, you have to tell your story. Cause at that point I had shared my story via social, but I hadn't really put it into words and, and stuff like that. And so he said, you, sh- you should do that. And, and uh, it was amazing, you know, to kind of see the pride in someone who I knew covering him, but I wasn't like, um, you know, we weren't talking on a regular, you know, and, and, and to be honest, the weight loss story was the reason that I, I made it a point to see him in person because our last conversation that we had could have been done over phone uh, because, you know, where his office was in Costa Mesa is not close to where I live. 
And I said, listen, I kind of want him to see what I look like, you know, because he kind of was there at the beginning of this journey and kind of, you know, at that point, 130 pounds, my goal was to get under uh, 200. So at that point, I was like 198, 199. And so I just wanted to kind of show off what I had done. And, and so I'm so thankful that I obviously that I got to see him that I recorded that moment that we um, took a picture together, which we never did during my entire career covering him. Uh, but it was one of those moments like he was retired and he had meant a lot to me in terms of like my weight loss journey. So it was really, really cool. That's an amazing story. And first of all, before I continue, where can we find that story uh, that you wrote about your weight loss journey? Yeah, so that's online. Like if you if you just Google, I mean, I hate to say it like this, but I, I, there, there's no like website, for example. But if you just Google my name, Arash Markazi and weight loss journey or weight loss 130 pounds or hopefully it, it pops up. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a very public uh, journey and I, and I felt that helped me actually. So basically the story was about being publicly accountable, putting myself out there, putting a picture of myself, you know, when you, people know you're big, when you're 329 pounds and five foot seven, people know that you're a big guy, but putting that out there publicly in terms of saying, I am going to begin in today's day one. And so people, you know, I think lovingly, but they were like, what's today? Day 629. But like, you know, people began to follow me on this journey. And I think they, they, if they didn't join me, they told a friend about the journey I was on because it was really as simple as like today I'm going to continue this journey. I'm going to do something physical or like active for 60 minutes. I'm going to stay under 1600 calories. And listen, the pandemic was hard on everyone. Gyms were closed. We were depressed. We were drinking. We were like eating. But now that things are back to normal, I think I may do the countdown again just to kind of help people because like, like I gained some of the weight back, but it's not like I gained a, like the whole weight back. I gained some weight back. Now I'm back in the gym. And so it was uh, it was an amazing journey, but again, it, a part of it, a lot of it, had to do with that Mamba mentality. Amazing, that's awesome. No, uh, on my own journey in that department myself. So very inspirational stuff. Can't wait to look up the story and appreciate you sharing. I actually wanted to ask you a couple of questions about that last interview. Again, highly recommend everyone check it out. Uh, Kobe's last interview with the LA Times, roughly October of 2019, it was published, I believe. Yeah. And so really great interview. You talked about the Mamba Academy, the Mamba Invitational, his family. Obviously, Kobe was so at peace. And I, I have another question about it after. But first, I actually wanted to ask, what was sort of your main either just takeaway lesson or thing that you found really interesting? What stuck out to you from that interview? You know, the interesting thing was how reflective he was about life as a father in, you know, post NBA career, because um, to kind of paint the picture, I mean, the, when I sat down with him was, was before the first game of the season in the first game of the season was, was the Lakers and the Clippers. And it was a very significant game where Rob Palenka was obviously the GM of the Lakers. He was under fire kind of his first year or first year or two with the team you know, but that summer he gets um, Anthony Davis, you know, the summer prior to that, he got LeBron James. And so I was wondering, you know, A, will you be there for the game tomorrow? And, and B, if if not, why? And, and he wasn't going to be there. He was going to see N Natalia, I believe, had a volleyball tournament and he was going to go to. And he basically said, you know, during the course of his career, he had missed a lot of those moments with his kids and he wanted to be there 
with them. He wanted to be there with Gigi and Natalia and all his, uh, you know, his wife and his kids that that was his goal and so you know because a part of the the other part of the conversation was you know like would you ever come back to be like a gm or like an executive or a co- i mean like none of that was on his radar he didn't want to do any of that he had had an amazing career he wanted to be a father but he also wanted to like tell amazing stories as a producer as a director as like a writer but that was these were all passion projects for him and about you know not just were they passion projects he, he won an academy award so like he, he did a good job doing that too but what what stuck out to me and what in hindsight i was really glad that i spoke to him about was Gigi, and that's what always got me like like emotional like when i thought about that was just how uh, proud he was of her and how he was like genetics are like a real thing man like when I say, see her play I see myself and so um, I am glad that we had that last conversation and I talked to him about Gigi and his kids and his family and, and, and again the priorities he had in his life because I think every time we're in the midst of our careers and they don't even have to be as fleeting as a professional player's career you, you kind of during maybe like the, 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 the height of your career or whatnot for you lose sight of what's important. And whether that's your wife or your kids or your loved ones, you, you sacrifice a lot to get to where you have to get to. And I think he thought he did, you know, there was a lot of moments that he didn't get to spend with his wife and his kids. And now in post career, post retirement, as he, as a retired player, he wasn't about to make that commute to watch the Lakers. You know, he loved the the team. He wanted to support Rob and Jeannie and LeBron and all that stuff, but he was content being a father. That's incredible. And, and that's a really great takeaway. And I mean, in the interview, it's, it's eerie, of course, but he, you could tell that Kobe could not have spent any more time post-retirement appreciating his family he he like he sort of lived each day like it was his last with them and it was almost cathartic actually to hear you uh, get that out of him and hear that he literally enjoyed every minute he could uh, with his family and of course to talk about Gigi and how exciting I I really think it is it was peaceful. It was the most peaceful I've ever heard Kobe probably. And, and really great interview by you. And I highly recommend everyone listening to it. Now, obviously you covered a lot of Kobe. So you saw, I also know the story of the 2009 Kobe champagne. soaked uh, <laughs> t-shirt the next day in the hotel. And so I was wondering, you know, with that, from that to that interview, either what is sort of the biggest difference between that Kobe or even younger Kobe and the Kobe in that interview or, or an insight on just how that evolution occurred. I mean, it's incredible. Well, so like the Kobe at the beginning of his career, like was just out to prove everyone that he was the best. Like if people thought he was young and that he was immature, like, I mean, his goal was to prove you prove to you that I am the best. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. Like it was a little much, you know, if you talk to teammates and coaches who were around him at the beginning of his career, let's just say, 96 to, you know, I don't know what you want to say, 2003, four or whatnot. I mean, it, it was a lot. It was overbearing at times. I mean, he rubbed Shaq the wrong way. He rubbed a lot of people the, the wrong way. He rubbed a lot of the media the, the wrong way. Um, I think the Kobe that you're referring to in 2009, when I was with him in Orlando, when he finally won, he did not take his jersey off. So, he, you know, 
when you win a championship, right? You, you put on the, uh, the, uh, championship shirt and hat he gets back to the ritz carlton at grand lakes and like in orlando which was not their normal hotel on the road when they played the magic but this was like a little bit away from everything because phil wanted back then it was still the two three two so games um three four and five and i believe they, they clinched it in game five he wanted them to be away from everything and so I mean, he wore that champagne soaked jersey that entire night. Like he was the only one. Like, like everyone changed at some point to come to the after party. Kobe was there with Natalia, Gigi, and Vanessa wearing the same champagne soaked uh, shirt, hat, like armband, sneakers, jersey. I mean, it was because that championship meant the most to him. I think in terms of if yeah. you were to have him rank it, it was the first post Shaq. And as much as the first, second, and third meant, and they meant a lot especially that first one, the first one without Shaq, especially when Shaq was like, Kobe, tell me how my, you know, what tastes and what, I mean, it was like, <laughs> you know, like I, you meant a lot to me, obviously Shaq, but like I can win without you. And so I do think 2009 and then you fast forward to 2010, which was the, uh, you know, the press conference where, when we, we, we basically were like, what's the significance the significance, I have one more than Shaq. And again, these last two are post-Shaq. So like they they hold in his mind a little, little bit more weight because if you think you're hard on Kobe, he's harder on him than anyone else. Like you you go to his statistics. So I, I think it's ridiculous. And anyone who watched those playoffs and who was on that team and played against him, Kobe was not a role player in 2001, 2002, 2003. I mean, he was one of the top five, if not the second best player in the world, right behind Shaq. They were an amazing one-two punch. So he deserved like all the credit and some for those three, but those two post Shaq 2009 to 2010 meant so much to him. That's amazing. That's, that's really cool insight. And, uh, that's really great. I, I couldn't agree more on the three-peat with Shaq. I think it's one of the most uh, overlooked and biggest fallacies in NBA history to act like Kobe was not, you know, it was, it was Batman and Superman, not yeah. Batman and Robin yeah. on uh, that championship team. And it's, it's really nice to hear that from your perspective. Uh, something else I wanted to ask you on the Kobe interview topic, not this one specifically, but you've interviewed a ton of athletes. You've interviewed a lot of great people. You're even breaking barriers, getting into WWE interviews now. <laughs> and so I would love to know, you know, lots of people have said Kobe sticks out, but you have a really special relationship with him that we'll get into a bit more. Um, what was the difference between Kobe Bryant and other people you interviewed or what was so unique or really stuck out about him? I don't know what it is about Kobe. And you heard a lot about this, like after he passed is the connection he had to you. If you just met him just one time, it, it was an amazing thing. I mean, he made you feel like you were important. And I know that, that like we're all important and what, but when Kobe Bryant comes up to you and he remembers your name and he remembers your family's names and he remembers certain things about you, uh, he had an ability to make you feel like you were important to him. Now, whether that was the case or not, I, I really don't know, but I've always been taken aback and, and amazed by the stories people tell about him. These are people that have met him just once, you know, when you go to um, try to remember what, you know, the girl dad story, the sports center of Hinker who mentioned that she just had one meeting with Kobe, um, Hell Duncan 
Swell Duncan meets meets Kobe just one time, and according to her, it was at the the upfronts. Kobe was doing you know something about his thing, and she was talking. I, maybe they talked for maybe ten minutes or less, maybe five minutes. The impact he had on her and the story that she told from that was one of the most prominent things that came from his passing. Absolutely. Because that is the connect. Like he found out whatever that she was having a girl, and then. He's got four girls and like, it's amazing being a girl dad. It's like, that was probably an important story for her and a story that she told to her friends, but it was a story that connected with so many people once he passed. And, and there was so many stories like that, that I heard from people who may have just met him just once. And so the difference for me is that there was always that connection there in terms of like, I don't know for how many years, you know, me covering him, you know, he was one of the few like that called me by my first name. These guys probably knew my name, but like in terms of him knowing that it's important to call someone by their name, knowing it's important to ask them how their family is, how's your life, you're losing weight, for example. I mean, little things like that. And so for that kind of um, that attention to detail, the fact that he would remember things about you, the, the fact that he would even care probably helped him in life in terms of, you know, I mean, in, in what he could have been doing post-career. Like, I mean, like he was just at the t- tip of it, but he always knew that that was important. And obviously I think he knew like it coming from him, it m- meant something. So um, he was the most unique athlete that, that I covered from that respect. I think there's a lot of players who don't want to have anything to do with the reporter or the journalist. Like I'm just here to like answer your question then I'm going to move on. I was always amazed that Kobe stayed longer. Like, so Kobe had the, you know, post game, he, he would either be the first one to talk or the last one to talk. Like either like when you walked into the locker room, he'd be the first one available or you'd walk in and he wasn't there and you knew that you would have to wait till the very end of the night to like get, get him. But when he did talk, he talked for his allotted 10 minutes. And then like, like after that, he would wait. And so here's how that that would go. If he was the last one to speak, once he was done with his availability, like he would just leave. If he was the first one to speak, which means he hadn't been dressed yet. So he was, you know, his feet were like in the ice bucket and things like that. If he hadn't talked and you got your 10 minutes and the PR person said the last question and that was last question, he would hang out there and talk about stuff, whether it's about movies or books or what he was genuinely like, curious he yeah. he was so curious about everything so the most unique player that i've ever covered wow that is a big compliment because you've uh you've covered some of them for <laughs> sure and that's awesome you know that's really amazing insight appreciate you sharing and i actually had cabby richards as the yeah. very first guest on this show and on that episode he brought up how there were a few journalists kobe really trusted he mentioned ramona shelburne jay adonde himself and you and he also mentioned <laughs> a really cool story he wrote uh, covering him i'm canadian myself so really yeah. uh loved that story and so anyways what i wanted to know is you know especially when kobe particularly in the mid 2000s so closed off how do you feel as a journalist that you were able to really develop that relationship and trust with him to the point where he could trust you and, and, and was willing to open up and shout out to Mark Medina too. He's done some great interviews with Kobe. Yeah. No, you know, I, I think if you were covering him during his Shaq Kobe days, it, there, there was a, a contingent where it was, you were, you were one of the Shaq guys or you were one of the Kobe guys. And so but the thing about Kobe that was very similar to Michael Jordan was that he never forgot. 
I mean, he really truly never forgot whether he wrote something negative or positive or mainly something negative, right? So during the Kobe Shaq days, he remembered or kind of put you, or there was just people in camps, whether you were in the Kobe camp or the Shaq camp, but also when he went through what he went through in Vail, Colorado, like depending on how you viewed that, did you just say he should be out of the league or what? I mean, so like, I think he paid attention to that. And there's some great pictures back in the day of him on the team playing. And he's, you know, you know, like Michael Jordan, he's reading the newspaper. Obviously now people are on their phones and their, uh, you know, their computers, but uh, he read and he made sure to figure out who's, uh, I don't want to say a sympathetic voice, but like, you know, like who's on my side or who's against me. I mean, who's taking needless shots. And I think if he, liked you and he felt you took a needless shot like he would call you out on it or he he would have a conversation with you about it but yeah I mean it was a very unique time in Los Angeles sports where there was at the height of the Lakers and at the very end you know a Kobe camp in a Shaq camp wow that's uh that's pretty amazing stuff for sure and that's really cool to know so we got about two more questions here uh first one actually relates to you were at the phoenix suns game last night and so obviously kobe wrote on devin booker's shoes in his final season the legendary booker has the tattoo now and then stephen a comes out on radio and uh or comes out on first take and says that devin booker is the next kobe bryant Now, while that might be going a little bit far, there obviously are a lot of similarities and the Mamba did uh, tutor and train with Devin Booker a little bit. So I wanted to get your insight uh, on this Phoenix Suns team and sort of Kobe's influence on Booker. And then the second part of that question is if you think Booker is the closest player to Kobe or if there's someone else in the NBA today. Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, I I just don't think it's fair to to Tevin Booker to compare him to Kobe because Kobe's yeah. Kobe. And so like, I, I think he's a fantastic player and he's going to have an amazing career. And he is having an amazing career. You know, the one thing that I thought of as that game was happening and Chris Paul was going off in that fourth quarter, you know, when finishing with 41 points, unbelievable, assists, no turnovers, just a historic performance in a conference final is, you know, and I hate to say it, but, you know, going back to the basketball reasons, I mean, that was sort of Kobe's last chance to have a championship run. And I think um, that deal was done. I think a lot of people wrongly blame the league. The league is to blame, but it was a very unique situation where the league controlled, they were the owners of the New Orleans Pelicans. So if that was not the case, if the Pelicans were just owned by a third party, not the league, that trade happens. Like there's no doubt about it. That trade happens, but the league could veto it. Not because if it wasn't fair, not because they didn't like it, but because they owned the team. So that's why that trade was vetoed. It wasn't because it wasn't fair. You know, again, on social media, it's hard to explain these things, but like, you know, so that's, that's why that, that happened. Um, And I always hated it because listen, it was Chris Paul had that mindset, that killer instinct that Kobe did. I mean, they will just rip your head off. Kobe liked that about Chris, and Chris obviously loved and respected Kobe as well. I think Dwight would have still found a way to end up with the Lakers. That was the plan. And I think that dynamic would have made it much easier. I think Chris would have – maybe the combination of Chris and Kobe would have been able to get Dwight on the same page, or at least Chris would have helped there. You know, it wasn't a 
bad substitute, but you make the trade for Chris, I mean, sorry, for Steve Nash, and then Steve Nash's his career is done. Like, he gets hurt in the first or second game, and that's that. And Kobe was pretty upset with Dwight, and Mike D'Antoni wasn't a good fit, I still think, to this day. If they had brought in yep. Phil Jackson, at least that would have been... It was so close. Yeah, and so, like, like while I'm watching Chris Paul accept the yeah. Western Conference Championship trophy at Staples Center, I kept thinking, like, man, like, I think Kobe had another, at least one championship, one championship run. Absolutely. And, you know, that's a really excellent point because that is the thing is that all the, the hype is on the Devin Booker Kobe comparisons, but there is that aspect of the friendship between Kobe and Chris Paul. I think Chris yeah. Paul got him a walking cane at a retirement party. And uh, of course their competitiveness, how much they respect each other, those Olympics. And they, they were so close to playing each other would have won a championship would have been great. Um, so two more questions here. One is, although not saying who the next Kobe is, but is there a player in the NBA or which player in the NBA today would you most compare just to either Kobe's mentality, play style, or which player in the NBA today just not as the next Kobe, but makes you think of Kobe the most? It's a great question. I don't, you know, someone like a Trey Young, maybe, but like, I mean, you have to have that killer instinct, that dog in you, right? Like that just fight in you, the ability to drop 40, 50, 60, like that's Kobe. Um, hard to say. I mean, the reason I'm thinking about like the younger guys is Kobe loved to mentor and tutor the younger guys. You know, the one of the parts of the story that I did on Kobe the last time I talked to him was he mentored or like brought in over the summer like Paul George and Kawhi. Like he yeah. loved those two guys, and so a part of me was like, those are two guys that the Lakers wanted, couldn't get them. Now they're on the Clippers. Like, what's that like? And obviously, like the backstory of Kobe at one point in his career may have would have you know could have ended up there uh so um yeah i mean someone young like a devin booker or or, or a trey young or, or just someone like young like that because you know from the dog perspective in terms of like the fight i mean obviously it's chris paul when i think of kobe again it was hard to not think of kobe last night as chris paul got that western conference trophy in los angeles Wow. Yeah, absolutely. No, that was uh, very cool to see for sure. And that's really great insight as well. Uh, Trey Young was actually Gigi's favorite player. Yeah. And so that's that's a really cool connection, too. And yeah, Trey Young balls out. I mean, we'll see. I mean, they could end. Uh, I mean, we're recording this on July 1st, yeah. uh, 2021. But if Giannis doesn't come back, the Hawks could end up there. And oh, yeah. uh, so many, you know, just with you and mentioning Paul George, Kawhi, the the Kobe challenge to Giannis. That's that's part of what I like about this podcast, talking about Kobe. There's so much of uh, Kobe and his DNA in the current NBA always. So with that, Arash, I got one final question for you here. What is the main takeaway or life lesson that you apply in your own life or think of when it comes to Kobe Bryant and your whole experience with him? Yeah, no, it's, it's just that whole like Mamba mentality. And, and I know people say that phrase, but to me as someone who covered him, like that phrase means, you know, quite simply, you just work harder than everyone else. Like you're the first one to show up, the last one to leave. You know, I'll give you a quick example from 2009 in Orlando. I was staying at the same hotel as the team. And after, um, this was like right before game five, which is like the game that they would win the championship. But after game four, which the magic had won, the, the, there was this feeling like, you know, Kobe looked tired. Kobe looked like he was winded. Kobe looked like he was gassed. The series was two, one at no, sorry. 
three one at the time, maybe. Anyways, like and and there was this feeling that that Kobe was just, uh, you know, he had he he had exerted so much to get the team to the point that they got like how much did he have to give? He was drinking Coronas in the hotel lobby till like two o'clock in the morning. Like he was not tired. Like he was so like excited about the opportunity. And so, you know, he went back to his hotel room. Like I left back to mine. I got up in the middle of the night to go down to get something from the snack bar. And he's walking back from the gym in like a full sweat. This is like four or five o'clock in the morning. Like the sun's not out yet. I was like, are you kidding me? He's like, I got plenty of rest later. Like we, we got to win a championship. And so like, <laughs> that was, that was like the mentality he had. I mean, nobody worked harder than him. He had the guide given ability and talent, of course, that that was there, but you, you combine that with the work ethic of being the first one at the gym, the last one to leave. I mean, I remember covering a, a game against the heat in Miami and they lost late. And I think LeBron was on the team at, at this point in time. And he stayed late to shoot around in Miami. And again, I'm like, this is not a playoff game. It's like a regular season game, but he was upset that he lost and upset that maybe he didn't have like the best game and the Lakers were staying in Miami that night. And it's like, normally like, listen, like you're staying in South beach, like go enjoy yourself. He stayed there for like an extra hour and just shot. And so it's the work ethic. And that if you, you know, work hard at it, like you can accomplish whatever you want. That's beautiful. And I think uh, you couldn't have summed up Kobe Bryant, the Black Mamba, better than that. Arash, really come and appreciate you coming on here today. Love to give people their flowers at the end of the show. So thank you very much uh, for all the great coverage and everything that you provided in following Kobe Bryant, the insight throughout your whole career and all the other aspects, especially me uh, growing up in Canada as a Lakers fan, having flown out to see the Lakers, including Kobe's last game. Uh, you were an integral part in staying connected to the team and having that insight beyond just putting it on the TV. So me and anyone else following really, really appreciates that. Uh, Arash, can you tell everyone where we can find you today? Well, I'm at the Mightier 1090. I host uh, the uh, 12 to 1 show. And yeah, follow me on social media at Arash Markazi. And uh, yeah, just uh, living the dream out here in Los Angeles, as they say. Amazing, man. Well, I will be uh, coming out there to finish my USC master's degree soon. And again, uh, fellow Trojan, Arash Markazi here. So uh, thank you everyone for tuning in and Mamba out, Mamba forever. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.